am a finder of the destiny path of God for my life. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We want to take the time to greet those of you that are watching with us online. We certainly appreciate your presence in the house of God. This series is an exciting one. We are so excited to be here. We are really walking um, you and the members here of Destiny Generation that are part of our live uh, congregation um, in the building, walking through some insights that God has given me years ago to help me understand or put end time events in a biblical perspective. Um, for some people, when they talk about it, um, it seems like the picture that they have of it is so different from the rest of the Bible that it's almost like it's by two different authors, when in fact, there are some special keys that we can use to understand and unlock them so that every believer can understand them and really have a sense of the days and the times in which they live. As we said before, please like, share, please watch us on Facebook, like our uh, YouTube channel so that you can go back and, and read those things and listen to them. I'm telling you, there are some things that are that the Lord is really sharing to us in the moment that I'm even having to go back and listen to so that I can strengthen myself. And I'm telling the Lord, I'm reminding the Lord that I'm, Lord, I'm believing that when you come to catch away your church, that I'm, I'm rising with you because I have gotten my heart and my life ready and prepared. I don't take that um, for granted just because I'm a preacher because there's preachers that's going to be lost. The word was very clear that that would be so. And so the Apostle Paul said that I, I bring my body into subjection, lest that after I have preached to other people, I myself would be cast away. I don't intend to be cast away, and I'm hoping you don't intend to either. But if we're going to be those people that are ready to meet the Lord at his coming, then we're going to have to live intentionally. We know God is intentional. We sing about it. I love that song. Um, from Travis Green that says that God is intentional. But guess what? If you're going to be the people that are ready to meet the Lord, you're going to have to be intentional too. And I'm praying that this series helps you to focus your heart, to be sober-minded, or as the young people say, to stay woke so that you'll be prepared and intentional about seeing Jesus and being prepared for him when he comes. God bless you, and let's dive in. All right. So our objectives um, for this series, seven objectives we've given you. Um, and uh, media team, make sure that you pull from the PowerPoint that I sent today because um, I've made some, just some slight edits to that. All right. Number one, to provide perspective into God's prophetic scriptures, right? We want to have insight into um, prophetic scriptures, and we've stated that prophecy is simply God calling his shot in advance. He's going to tell you what he's going to do and do it, right? God has that kind of audacity, all right? Right. I love it when you see a baseball player, and then he takes his bat and points over there and says, I'm going to hit the ball over there. All right, that, that's kind of audacious. He's telling the devil, no, I'm coming for you, okay? Number two is to illuminate end-time events in a way that is consistent with all other texts of the Holy Scripture, full of hope, faith, and love. I don't have to, you know, it's not a love letter for, the, for 65 books and then a horror story on the last book. Okay? Number three, to acknowledge that God is both full of grace and mercy and also judgment and vengeance. There are warming scriptures, scriptures that make me feel good, but there's also warning scriptures. 
And I want to be a believer that has an understanding of both. Number four, to highlight patterns, principles, and personality profiles that appear repetitively in Scripture, enabling us to look backward but see forward. And that was the real, of all the things that we talked about, that's the real secret sauce to how your pastor teaches this because I show you that there is an internal consistency in the Bible that um, for me to disbelieve this part in Revelation, I would have to disbelieve stuff that I've accepted as being true and from God. And so we understand that it is a single book and that God puts these repetitive patterns in Scripture. Number five, to develop a prophetic viewpoint that informs our view on global events, but is not only unduly influenced by them, such that we try to conform biblical prophecy to current events, resulting in speculation, not spiritual expectation. We want, don't try to look for the Antichrist under every nook and cranny. Every time something, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is the mark of the beast because, you know, um, they got Bitcoin. All right, now there's a whole secret economy and, you know, the Illuminati and stop all of that, man. You don't got to do all of that. Now, are there, are there conspiracies? Of course there are. Herod and Pilate conspired against Christ, didn't they? Right? The chief priests conspired to kill him, didn't they? Conspiracy is a Bible word, then, isn't it? Okay, so if there was conspiracy at the first coming of Christ, you know there's going to be some at the second coming of Christ. But those conspiracies didn't stop Christ from doing what God has sent him to do, and they're not going to stop us, and they're not going to stop his second coming neither. Right. Number six, to motivate you to be about your father's business through an understanding of God's prophetic time clock. The most exciting part of the game is in the final seconds. I'm going to deal with something on that. Lord really kind of woke me up and gave me some insight into that today that he specifically charged me to share with you. And so I'm going to do that. And then finally, to give you comfort, confidence and hope that God has a plan for your deliverance from darkness as he ushers in a new age. That's really important, y'all. I mean, like, if there's anything that I want people to come away with is a faith that no matter what happens in the world, God has me in his care. I want them to be very, very certain I want you to have a, a confidence and a faith and expectation that God is coming to get me out. Right? Pastor, are you saying that Christians are not going to go through stuff? No, I'm going to have scripture today to show you that even though he's coming to save us from the great tribulation, we're going to go through some tribulations to get to the end. Because we already talked to you about the fact that there are labor pains that we will be affected by just like the rest of the world. But we're not going to go through with like people that have no hope, right? And so we're going to have a, a, a solid, balanced perspective on, on the faith and, um, and, and be believing appropriately for God to come and to catch us away through Jesus Christ. Now, um, our core scriptures, I got some core scriptures today. This is stuff that the Lord really... Talk to me about media. I'm on page nine. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. 
All right. And there's just some points here that I want, you know, I, I, I told you one of our objectives is to make sure that you're appropriately motivated to act. Um, Pastor David, why is this so important? Because there is a group of people whose perspective on end time events causes them to sit on their hands and do nothing and wait for Jesus to come back and fix it all. Because of that, there are certain ministers who don't even want to teach end time events because they've seen too many people want to sit on their hand and just say, well, it's too bad. I can't do nothing. I'm going to stick my head into a, in the sand. I'm going to hide my, you know, Y2K. I'm going to get me a bunker, you know, get me some military rations until Jesus comes. Okay. And so what I want you to understand that how we behave has something to do with the date of Jesus' return. Hmm. Pastor David, that's kind of audacious. All right, well, let's just look at the Bible, see what it has to say about it. Now, this um, Hebrews 10, 12 through 13. But this man, this man being Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that, that's clearly Jesus, isn't it? From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. He's sitting in heaven in expectation till his enemies be made his footstool. But hold it, hold it. He's the head. We are the body of Christ. You don't put your head on a footstool. You put your head on a pillow. Got it? You don't put your head on a footstool. Okay? A footstool is for feet. Feet is connected to the body and not the head. All right? So when he's saying his enemies are to be made as footstool, that's not talking about his deliverance. Listen, the devil, no. Jesus whooped the devil in hell. So he know he hit. He's talking about us enforcing the, the, the victory that Jesus gave us in his name. All right? Now let's look at another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God, his father, the father. When he, Jesus, puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. He said that the only thing, when Jesus puts everything under his feet, the only thing that's not under his feet is God the Father. Everything else is, is, is under. God the Father's above. The only exception to that is, excuse me, God the Father's above. Everything else is under. The only exception to, to all authority and dominion and power being brought in subjection to Jesus is God the Father. Got that? 
he must reign until he puts all enemies not under his head, but under his feet. So that again says that there is a partnership that God has with you and I to move enemies, the things that Christ is going to do. It's because the thing that Satan is trying to do against the work of God, that we should be in active spiritual conflict to push the enemy's works out of our, out of our way in our generation, to defeat enemies. Now, everything is not militaristic, but that clearly is. They are enemies. Okay. Right. So not everything in the Bible is warfare, but this certainly is, isn't it? He's putting enemies under feet. That is clearly warfare term terminology. He's making the devil subject, not to him. The devil was subject to him when he took the keys of hell, death and the grave. He's talking about the devil being subject to you. He's talking about the fact that things that were controlling your life, now you, got to, you get to control over them. What about the enemy of drug addiction? There's an opioid crisis. Now, there was already a crack crisis, but because crack was people that did that looked like you and me. They didn't consider the crisis until it hit their household. I ain't mad at nobody. Your pastor, listen, I am not mad at anybody. I just understand that there are people who I know are made in the image of God who clearly haven't got the memo that I'm made in the image of God. But even if that thing is out there, it is still an enemy that must be brought to the feet of Jesus Christ. We, the church, are supposed to be the people that have the deliverance over that thing. And if we haven't got it yet, we're supposed to fight it until we get it. Because all enemies must be put under. Right? Um, every generation must work to push back more and more of the enemies of Christ until the last enemy is death itself. The last enemy that's supposed to be standing. It's just like um, if you were a fighter and then you working your way through fights and you've beaten fights until you stand up in a championship. The last championship bout is the church against death itself. Then we who are alive and remain. That means that last generation is even going to beat death. Follow what he said. He must reign until all the enemies be put under his feet. The last enemy to be put under his feet is death. Then there's a generation who shall not sleep. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to beat with him in the air. There's a generation in the church that won't have to have funerals. Okay, I'm just telling you what the word. I'm just going to say it the way the Lord is telling me to say it. If the last enemy has to be brought under his feet, then there must be a generation coming that's going to that's going to even beat death. But we don't get to that one until we, we <laughs> you got to get the low level devils before you get the last one. 
You got to work your way up to the champion. <laughs> you, don't, you don't start off fighting at the championship. You got to do them small matches. Some people still getting beat by the devil before they get out of bed in the morning. You can't beat death yet. You ain't ready. Okay? So we have to have a mindset that says, I'm going to take the ground that was gained in the previous generation walk in all the victory that they had, and then I'm going to take me some new ground, and then I'm going to lay my hands at the end of my life if Jesus hadn't come back on my next generation, sons and daughters, and say, this is the ground that I'm prophesying that God's going to give you that I didn't take. David said, Solomon, I fought a bunch of wars. I shed a bunch of blood so that you could have peace and do things that I couldn't accomplish in my generation. Now, you're going to take it further, and you're going to build a temple that I made preparation for. I fought some battles so that you wouldn't have to. But you're supposed to take what I did and then build it and keep advancing it until the last enemy standing is death itself. I am preaching real good up in here, up in here. All right? Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. Let's look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Even what we've shared this far changes your mindset. If you, if you grasp hold of just what I've shared to you today, that what we're used to doing is we're used to going up and down, like, you know, um, two generations good, and then the third generation backslide, and then we pray them back in, right? And then they get into heaven, but they get into heaven with a bunch of bumps and bruises because granny was praying while they took the detour to heaven. You know, they took the long, hard road. What God is intending for us to do is we are supposed to take the ground that has been given to us from our, our parents, right? See, I'm very conscious. See, I talk like this because this is how I think. My apostle, my mother in the faith and in the flesh took ground spiritually that became this church. And then she handed this thing to me. And so I'm supposed to take all the ground that she took, but there's supposed to be new ground that I take in my generation that she didn't get to. Right? But hold it, hold it. I'm going to get served so far, and then I'm going <laughs> to run out of energy, time, and revelation and relevance to my generation. And hopefully by the time that I get to that point, there's another generation behind me ready to take the ground that I got and then take it further, and they would see new things that I couldn't see how to get done. And we're supposed to do that everywhere, all across the church, until we push up so large that the devil is like, the scripture says in Revelation, he was getting pushed back by the devil to the point where, by, by Michael, the archangel, and God's angels, to the point he had no place left. He's supposed to be good, we're supposed to be boxing him out. To the last enemy left standing is death itself. And then we dot his eye too. And we are alive and remain and get caught up. Whew. 
That's a whole different picture, isn't it? That's a whole different picture. Look at it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, whew, those of us that have pushed every enemy back, including death, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay. So please, please. Now, people, people understand this concept in the negative. Right? People understand the concept of generational curses. We understand that there can be a devil that beat grandfather, that beats daddy, and that beats me. Right? We understand that, that grandpa was a drunk, daddy became a drunk, and then you go to the party too many times and start sipping, you're going to be drunk too. We understand it in the negative. Medical professionals always ask you, what history do you have in your family of disease, don't they? We understand it in the negative. But why don't we understand it in the positive? If we understand generational curses, why can't we get generational blessings? Why is it always got to be the bad stuff that get passed down? Why can't no good stuff get passed down? I'm just saying. Everybody understands the negative. Why can't we understand the positive? Some Christians have more faith in generational curses than they do in generational blessings. The Lord bless you more and more, you and your children. That's how the man be blessed that fears the Lord. The genera his generations shall be mighty upon the earth. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. What I'm telling you is, now see, this is destiny generation stuff, right? I'm telling you is, you're supposed to walk in every victory you can, teach your children to do the same, and then you hand them something, and then they go further, and then they, they beat devils you never could get to. I am conscious. I am conscious of the fact you know, my apostle's still here. She's still swinging. I mean, she ain't done. But my father in the faith is not. I am swinging on stuff that he trained me to swing at because I'm going to fix some stuff that he didn't get to. I am very conscious of that. I'm very conscious of what my dad said to me the last day that I saw him. He gave me some instructions. And I'm swinging it. I remember those things. Why? Because there were certain enemies he defeated. They at work was talking to me when I married Lady Nedra, and they were calling me David McQuarters. They were trying to intimidate me because my wife was large and in charge. I said, listen, my dad already beat that devil. You can't intimidate me. He, he didn't let nobody intimidate him because my mama was all doing what she was doing. How, that devil's already been beat. I don't even, <laughs> baby, bye. Talk to the hand because the head's not listening. You understand what I'm saying? That devil was already beat. 
okay? There are some things, like, I, I, don't, I don't mean this to be all mean and stuff, but my dad, I know my dad didn't, wasn't a whoremonger because I don't have them kind of problems. I inherited a victory. I didn't even fight for it. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't even fight for it. He fought for it. I just walk in it. Now, there's other stuff. Now, when it comes to that chocolate, he didn't beat that one. Pastor David got to fight through. I'm just saying. Okay? Now, there were some things Daddy beat. He told me, he said, man, I wish I had an eight better. I, I need you to work on your diet. And what he said was no more fried foods. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, I mean, no fried foods. I'm still working through that. that but that's what my father told me on his deathbed. What was he saying? There were certain enemies I defeated, but this one stopped me. Don't let it stop you. We're supposed to be seeing ourselves grow from generation to generation. All right. I don't want to stay there too long, but did y'all get that? Didn't that bless you? Okay, Matthew 24, 14. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because I want you to take a critical assessment of your family line and say, what things do we have victory from previous generations? And what things am I going to take as ground in my generation? And what am I interceding to get into my future generation so that we can keep going and keep growing? All right. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this is and this gospel of the kingdom. This is Jesus speaking. If this was a red letter Bible, these words were in red. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The end can't come until the gospel be preached to all the nations. Now, who preaches the gospel? Is that Jesus' job? Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. So don't ask Jesus to do the job he asked you to do. <laughs> I remember I used to wake up on um, Sunday mornings and uh, I would hear um, the broadcast. We only day we could listen to WDDZZ was on Sunday morning. Sam Williams would be on the radio. Y'all remember Sam Williams doing that thing? And um, there were several different kind of things that several different churches would have because that's prime time. You know, it was the big churches that had their stuff up on Sunday morning. And um, one of the churches you would hear broadcast was, was Harris Memorial, right? And I would hear um, they would they had a recording of He is Lord, man. And that was like one of the it was one. Of, I mean, I just the music was good. And and then. Um, the, the late superintendent um, Bogan would then begin to, he would make a prayer as he, that it was playing, he is Lord. And then he would say, Lord, go to the hospitals, go to the jailhouses. And I'm thinking to myself, nah, I mean, you know, God is telling you to go. You can't turn around and give him the job he gave you. Amen. You know what I'm saying? But you can't give him your job. All right. He said, if you go into all the world, lo, I'm going to go with you. Don't tell me to go. You go. And if you go, then I'll go with you. Okay? So we have to understand the end then 
cannot come until this happens. Now, how, how, who's keeping track that the gospel has gone to all nations of the world? Well, God's keeping track. I don't know how to measure that, but Jesus does. He knew, God knew when the ark was built, he wasn't going to let it rain till the ark got done. So everybody else didn't know how to grade whether the ark was ready yet, but God did. What we have to understand is we can't sit on our hands just sitting waiting for the rapture to take us away. When we have kingdom assignments to take a specific territory like what we describe here as our mission to raise up a lighter spiritual, social, and economic empowerment that transforms Flint and the surrounding regions, we have to do our part of taking the gospel in our area. And then somebody else has another part. Somebody else has another part. We got to do the piece that God gives us to do. Jesus, who is the head of the church, is tracking all the pieces. But make sure you get your piece done. Don't sit, don't just sit around waiting for, you know, remember Star Trek, waiting for Scotty to beam us up out of here. Y'all remember Star Trek? See, y'all not no Trekkies. Live long and prosper. Y'all not no Trekkies. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. But we can't. One of the reasons why true kingdom teachers don't spend a lot of time teaching the revelation because people want to sit down and just watch it like it's a movie instead of acting in it. They want to watch the movie instead of being the movie. They want to watch the highlight instead of being the human highlight. And God doesn't want you to do that. You have to take your part of it. Now, let's look at um, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read 19 through 21. Stop sitting on your do-nothing, just waiting on God to beam us out of the problems. Uh, I'm not doing that. Okay, when you, when, when you don't fight, and then all you do is sing about heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to have nothing to do but just walk around heaven all day. When, you, when all, your, all your theological hope is to escape the problem and get to heaven where there are no problems, now listen. I've already told you that we're supposed to have a hope of salvation. I'm expecting that when Jesus comes, that he's going to take me, take me up and take me out. Now, if, if death hits me before he's ready to come back, then I'm believing for that. But I'm not spending all my time wishing for heaven right now instead of doing the work he sent me to do. What did he say in his kingdom parables? Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come speaks of, of you taking kingdom authority and dominion in your area, slaying some enemies, keeping order. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth that I'm responsible for like it is in heaven. Spend more time occupying, not just saying, you know, I'm going up yonder. Now you can go up yonder. I ain't, I ain't tell you. I don't want you to go no other place. Okay, but let's make sure we're doing the kingdom assignment in our generation, not just focus on getting to heaven. 
because there is a class of church people that are heavily minded but not earthly good because all they're concerned about is just going to heaven. They're not concerned about the work that Jesus has created them to fulfill on the planet. All they're glad is, I'm saved by grace and not by works. But if you, were, if, you're, if you want other people to be saved by grace and not by works, then you're going to have to t- take the grace that God gave you and get to work. Because other people are not going to come to know him unless you do that preaching of the gospel. And that's not just, he didn't say the gospel is going to be preached from all the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You go and preach the gospel in your world. So all of us have that assignment, whether or not you ever stand up in a pulpit like your pastor. All right. Look at Acts chapter three, and we're going to read 19 through 21. Now, this is in the book of Acts. That means that this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. It's in Acts three. Acts two was after the Holy Spirit has been given. So this is the message that they preached after Peter. Um. Peter and John came to the gate beautiful where the lame man was, and they raised him. Silver and gold, have we none? Rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And then they preached this sermon. Now, let's look, look at what they said about Jesus in their sermon. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. First of all, before Jesus comes back, there are specific renewals, revivals, awakenings, times of refreshing. There will be times when things get worse spiritually because of the enemy, and then there will be times where the church gets better because of a spiritual sovereign move of God. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And that he... God the Father may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Now look at this first statement here in verse 21. Whom heaven must receive. Whom heaven must receive. He can't come back when he just wants to. Heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Jesus can't come back until every prophetic scripture of him is fulfilled. Isn't that what that said? Even the prophecies he said, which says that the gospel must be preached to all nations and and then the end will come. So he can't come until we fulfill his prophecy. Now, this is, this is also one of the reasons why I tell you that there are still Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' second coming that have yet to be fulfilled. Because he said, Jesus can't come back to the prophets, to all the things spoken by the prophets since the world began. So he didn't just say start with Matthew to the right. The world began, he's going all the way back to people like Enoch and Abel, right? He's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He's not just saying New Testament. 
He's saying there were things spoken in the Old Testament that haven't come yet. Now, Jesus said it is finished. He fulfilled everything that was tied to his first coming. But there were still other things that were spoken by the prophets that referred to his second coming, and they have not all been filled yet. Until they all get filled, he can't come back. That's what that says, isn't it? Okay. I got a key statement. Let's, let me show you this <laughs> key statement. And this is, this is what the Lord said to me. Um, Jesus is under house arrest until we finish our assignment. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And we spend all our time concerned about the many mansions. Oh, in my father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hey, he's going to the house and we sing songs about our mansion. Everybody wants their mansion. How big my man, how big your mansion going to be? But what we haven't dealt with, he said, if I go, then I'll come to you to take you where I am. But this scripture tells us he heaven's got to receive him. He can't come back till every prophecy is fulfilled. Oh, so what we do has something to do with when he returns. Uh, oh, I, th- I didn't think it was that deep. I thought I could just sin and we fall down and get up. I thought I could just play around with my salvation and everything was going to be all right if I go to heaven. I didn't know that I had an assignment that could impact the, the, the unfolding of the plan of God. Now, listen, he's, he's going to come when he plans to be here. And some, some portion of the church is going to do their job. The question is, are you going to do your job? He's going to get it done. He's going to have a people that do it. I just decided, like, like Bishop Paul Morton, Lord, whatever you're doing, just don't do it without me. I, I want to get my part done. Listen, I, I know you're going to get somebody to do it. I'm just saying I'm that somebody. Now, hook everybody else up, but I'm not going to be left out. All right? I'm not going to see Jesus and he say, I could have been here closer. I could have done more, but you didn't do your job. So I had to wait for another generation to come up and do what you needed to do. Biblical scholars believe that the, that, the, that the command to go to the promised land wasn't first given to Abraham. It was first given to his father, Terah. He left and then get, got parted away and then died. He, he, he started out, but he didn't finish the job. So then God had to wait for another generation, for somebody else to pick up. Well, that happened to the children of Israel, didn't it? God intended for them to go and possess the promised land. God had to wait 40 years until another generation died out so that their children can rise up and do what they sh- the parents should have done. I, listen, I really do want God to use my daughter and my spiritual sons in their generation. I really do. But I'm not going to be lazy. Listen, I'm going to put some points up on the board myself. I'm not going to sit around waiting for y'all to figure out what y'all are going to do for God. I got my own. I got this. 
when, when I get done, I'm going to have something to hand you and, look, and you can look at it. No, no. Pastor David did something in his generation. I'm dreaming about, let's see, this sound, this sound morbid. I'm just telling you this is how I think. I'm dreaming about my funeral and all the people are going to be there crying like, oh, he changed my life. He just, yeah, 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 yeah. This would be, this would be some real tears, not no crocodile tears. Because I done done something. I done made some impact. I done changed some people's lives. Yes. Okay. Do your job so that the next generation don't have to do your job and their job. Hallelujah. All right. So let's go back to our list that we're working through. Eight critical perspectives on end time events. We'll get through this and I'm going to speed up a little bit, but. The Lord told me to give you that, so I'm going to give it to you just like he said. All right. Eight critical perspectives on end-time events. We've been working our way through this list. We said the first is the preeminence principle, Jesus is the subject, right? All things are by him, for him, that he might have the preeminence. So when we study end-time events, it's the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So don't look at the, the, the small characters and, and lose the main idea. Number two, we said all scriptures form a single book written by a heavenly author. It's 66 connected books, not 65 plus one appendix we aren't supposed to read and understand. Right? We can get this. You can get this. Number three, we said prophetic scriptures give us a sense of time, timing, and the times so that we can be in tune with the will of God in our generation, not drunk and disorderly like the world, or as we like to say, stay woke. Number four, there is a principle of prophetic pattern repetition that occurs in scripture. Often biblical scholars find one instance of prophetic fulfillment and lock onto it as if it was the only one when it's just, a, it's just repeating itself. All right, I'm gonna show you a little bit of that today. And then number five, this is the one that we're dealing with today. There is a prophetic there is a pattern of prophetic types and shadows that foreshadowed the first coming of Christ. This is also true for the second coming. In other words, there's things that I can see in type and shadow in Scripture that showed what Jesus Christ would be like at his first coming. Remember, Herod demanded the, the, the religious leaders and say, I demand that you tell me where the Christ is going to be born. He wasn't asking. He would, that wasn't a suggestion. If they didn't give the right answer, he was going to kill them. Herod was a killer. If they didn't tell him the right answer, they would have lost their lives. And they went to prophetic scriptures in the book of Micah and said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they used a prophetic scripture that foreshadowed his birthplace. God called his shot. I'm going to birth him in Bethlehem. And God orchestrated the whole Roman Empire and the census where they had to go back to their hometown so that right when she was nine months at their third trimester, that all of that happened when she had to be in the city of Bethlehem. God called his shot. 
I'm just saying there's a bunch of those about Jesus' first coming, but there's also ones like that about his second coming. Got it? Let's look at it. Um, Luke 24, we're going to read verse 25 through 27, and then we're going to skip down through 32. Now, this is Jesus um, speaking to two unnamed disciples after he had rose from the dead. They didn't recognize who he was, and he's beginning to open up the scriptures and tell them about who he was from the Old Testament scriptures. And then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Stop, cut, wait, wait. I didn't even see this when I was studying this. He says, you are fool if you are slow to believe what the prophets have said in Scripture. If you slow to believe biblical prophecy, Jesus called you a fool. I think Pastor David didn't call you a fool. Jesus called you one. Don't be foolish. Once we have identified that there are prophetic scriptures, believe it. You don't have to know how it's going to happen. That's not your job. Your job isn't to understand how God going to make it happen. Well, see, I think the way he going to catch us away is that it's going to be a, 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 a tornado and it's going to lift us up off the ground. Listen, that's not my job. God got that part. My part is to believe he going to catch me like he said he was. Don't be a person who is slow to believe the prophetic word of God. Pastor David, you mean that um, your great, 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 great granddaddy. You know what? He been he they he died. They he died and they buried him. And when they when they buried him, the worms ate him. And then a bird ate the worm. And then a cat ate the bird. And then a dog ate the cat. And all of that's been dead, and all of that DNA is gone, digested, gone, long gone. And Jesus said that when he comes back, he's going he's gonna to make a shot with a trumpet, and he's going to find all of that DNA, pull it all back together, glorify that body, and then my great, 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 great granddaddy, because I believe he was saved in Jesus' name. I don't know. It's going to rise up and go to heaven with me. How are you going to do that? I don't know. I just believe he's going to do it. I'm not going to be slow of heart and not believe it because the Bible would say that's foolish. That's not my job. My job is not to know how God's going to do it. My job is to be able to believe he's going to do it and believe he'll do it with me, too. Don't be a person that's slow to believe. Verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There was prophecies in the Old Testament, and Jesus told them one by one, this was me, this was me, this is, this is what I told Adam, and this is, this is what I told Seth, and this is what I told Enoch, and this is what I told Noah, and this is what I told Abraham and Isaac, and this is what I told Jacob. He walked them all the way through. 
from Genesis to Malachi, said, all of this is about me. Look at verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Listen, I don't want to have a hard heart to the word of God. I don't want to be one of these people. They've been saying Jesus is going to come back. They've been saying that a long time. Okay, don't. All right, choose. To, you can choose to let your heart get hard with this stuff. I choose not to. Because, see, the servant who believes that the master isn't coming back is the servant that's going to get drunk and sleep and play around because they think they got time. I'm not going to play around. I'm not going to have my heart be hard and not believe that he's coming. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Paul, not only did Jesus take Old Testament scriptures to show his, his coming, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the apostle Paul did the same thing. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now... When they had passed through Amphilipolis, man, I, I said that was really bad. I have it next time I say it. In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. What scriptures? They didn't have a New Testament yet. It wasn't yet written. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So they understood he had, he had to explain to them from the scriptures that Messiah must do this, and Jesus was that Messiah that all of these guys were talking about. And he did that from the scriptures. So there were prophecies where God called his shot, about his first coming, we're just saying that just like he called his shot about his first coming, there's also prophecies that describe his second coming. Got it? Right? That's really important. I don't know. It takes all that. Yeah, it takes all of that. Okay. Now, um, I can't say amen to the prophecies that showed his first coming and then say, oh, my, to the ones that say his second coming. If he called his first shot and that was right, I'm going to have to believe he calling his second shot, too. OK. I got to believe that. Now, let's look at first Peter chapter one, and we're going to read verses three through 13. Then I'm going to lay out some stuff for next week. 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 13. This is really, really, really good stuff. I love this stuff. I mean, the things that the Lord, there's stuff I knew, but then as I'm studying this, God's talking to me more. You follow me? Okay. And so we are learning together what God wants us to know about the end times. 1 Peter chapter 1 we're going to read verses 3 through 13. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us or begotten us again or caused us to be born again to a a living hope. Sorry, I'm, I'm about to say it like King James. It says lively to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember everything that we've said about hope. Hope has to be a blueprint. The, the Bible says that the blueprint that lives on the inside of you, that is the picture of the promise fulfilled, is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You should have a blueprint that there is an inheritance in heaven. Listen, man, I'm working hard. Man, I, I get all, I got all my, um, my, there's certain songs. The one thing I don't like about gospel music today, a lot of times it's a bunch of feel good, but I don't get nothing I can eat. You understand what I'm saying? Man, I was listening to my old whining songs. If I labor, God's going to give me a crown. Man, I'm up there. I believe I work, work in the vineyard, work. In the vineyard, yeah, yeah, I'm listening to that. Sun is going down. I'm telling you, man, I'm like, yeah, I'm coming to work. I'm coming to church. I'm going to work for this thing. Why? I got a picture that I have a lively hope, and there is a crown in heaven waiting for me, and I'm working for that thing. That picture is supposed to make you productive. All right? Um... Got excited. Lost my place. Okay. Verse five. To an inheritance, excuse me, who, um, that, there, that inheritance reserved in heaven for you, we who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a last day's salvation. It's not just the salvation just mean I'm saved when I die. There's a salvation for the people that's going to have to be here to fight this thing all the way out to the end because the devil not going to give up easy. So you got to believe that no matter how hard it is, God with you and God got you and he's going to get you through it and get you out of it. He going to throw his best shot, but when he throw his best shot, God's got the trump card. That's what I want you to understand. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh Uh-oh. That means even though we escape the great tribulation, there are some trials that we will have to face as we defeat the enemies in our own generation. And we have to be okay that we're going to have to fight our way out. You got to be okay with that. You have some trials. He says here, like, like we believe all the other promises. Why don't we believe the promises that those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? We believe the rest of them promises. Everybody ain't signing up for that, but you still get it whether you signed up for it or not. All right. Verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the revelation, the unveiling. That word revelation there is the same word 
That's from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The unveiling of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis, where we get the word apocalypse. He says that if I can just stand through the trials of my day, when Jesus comes with all his glory, he's going to look at me and say, David, man, you, you did that thing. Heaven's going to give me a standing ovation with great reward. The scripture says, when Stephen stood up, in his, stood up in his generation to preach the gospel when he was being stoned, Jesus stood up at the right hand of the Father and said, that's my boy down there. He doing that thing. He said, I see him. I can see him. They were stoning him, but he wasn't feeling it. Jesus had bore his griefs and carried his sorrows away. He was being stoned, but he was seeing Jesus. And he said, just like I talked to you about Sunday, Father, forgive them. Don't even put this to their charge. We have to believe that whatever we have to face. Listen, it was a, it was a Bible study this size where a mad gunman walked into their Wednesday night Bible study with a gun and killed them all. I, I, what made that pastor so, what makes me so much better than that pastor? I can't say it can't happen to me. I have to be prepared for whatever comes so that I do my job and finish my work. Whether in life or in death, I must be prepared to serve God with everything I got. Because if I do, when he appears, great plays, honor, and glory. He's going to be, <laughs> David did that thing I told him to do. Well done. I got great reward for you. Verse 8, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Ah, I got me some joy right now. Even though I ain't seen him yet, I know he coming for me. Now look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay. The ultimate goal of my salvation then is then my spiritual character development. Soul speaks of character. That my character is conformed to Christ. That I'm not just saved, but I'm delivered. I can go through trials and my character get better. I don't have to be offended with God and be mean and nasty because I done been through something. I don't have to get bitter. I can get better. All right? Now look at verse 10. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. Now these are talking about the Old Testament prophets. Have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. They saw it in the Old Testament that you were going to have something that they didn't get. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them. Look at that phrase. We'll come back to it. The spirit of Christ who was in them. Christ wasn't in them. The spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They saw Christ coming, Christ suffering. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that was upon, of our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripes, they saw us being healed. They didn't have that. 
because the stripes hadn't happened yet, but he saw it, and he said, on the other side of this, these, those people are going to get a healing we couldn't get. Those people are going to get a, a, a victory, a deliverance that we can't even, we can't even, we can't, we don't even understand how it can work, but they're going to have what we don't even have. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. They weren't preaching to themselves. Isaiah knew he wasn't preaching to him. Isaiah wasn't written for Isaiah. It wasn't even written for his generation because the sufferings of Christ hadn't come yet. He was preaching to us on the other side who, that can, who now can look back at the Christ cross and say, by his stripes, we were healed. But God called that shot in advance. Searching what manner of time the spirit of Christ, I'm sorry, um, verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now the Holy Spirit used to just come up on them and leave. Now he's sent and permanently here to be with us, to help us to make this stuff through. And he gives us insight into scriptures that angels wish they understood but can't. You can have revelation that they don't. God will tell you stuff he ain't telling them. Why? You tell your son stuff you don't tell your servant. That's good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope that his grace will be there when Jesus appears, that there's grace with Pastor David's name on it. In that first getting up morning, fare you well, fare you well. I believe that when he sees me, there's going to be grace in his eyes. David has served me. He's worked on this thing. He's been believing for it. He's been calling to it. He's been praying for it. He's been saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and bride say, come. He's been inviting other people into it. I'm taking him up with me. I'm expecting he's going to look up on me with favor in his eyes. That's what that says. Expect hope that his grace will be at you. He will look upon you with favor when he appears in his glory and he'll take you with him. All right. 12 quick points from 1 Peter 1, 3, 13. I'll give you this list next week. So I'm going to rush through it just for the sake of time. So don't worry. Go back and watch the YouTube or the Facebook channel if you can't get it all in now. All right. Number one, Part of what we gain through our new birth experience and the resurrection is a lively or living hope. Two, that hope is an incorruptible, undefiled, undefiled inheritance with your name on it. It's in heaven, but it's your name is on it. You can't get my inheritance because you're not me. Number three, we right now are being kept by God's power through faith. Number four, there is an end-time salvation given to us where we believe and expect God to carry us up with Jesus when he returns for the church. 
I'm expecting no matter what else is going on around me, he can take me up. He took Noah up. The flood was all around them, but Noah got up and got out. He took Lot out. The city was burning down all around him, but Lot got out. I believe he's going to get Pastor David out too, right? And you got to put your own name on it. You have to have faith like that. Don't be guessing. Well, I hope so. No, 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 no. That's not the Bible hope I'm talking about. No, he's coming for me. Number five, in the meantime, as we get closer to the end, we will have trials that test the sincerity of our faith. Six, if we pass the test, when we see Jesus unveiled in all his power, we shall receive praise, honor, and glory. Jesus will give you an ovation. Not, not, that, we will give, um, not that we will give him praise, honor, and glory, but he's going to give us some. Well done, my servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Number seven. One objective of our faith walk is for our souls to be matured and conformed to him so that we can represent him with the right character, culture, and nature. We want, listen, when I'm going through my stuff, I don't want people to see David in his flesh. I want them to see Jesus. I want people to see, do me wrong and see me do them right because of Jesus. The salvation, I want my soul to be better. I don't want to be snapping and cussing folks out because I'm going through a difficult time. I want them to see me going through wrong, doing right. Number eight, the prophets of old saw this character development coming upon us, which they could not fully access since they didn't yet have the new nature we receive in Christ Jesus. It was on the other side of Christ's sufferings that the glory is revealed in us. Number nine, they understood that this character development had to be first preceded by Jesus' first coming, death, burial, and resurrection. Now, number 10 is really what I wanted to get to, but I just needed, I thought the rest of our scripture was really good. Don't you think it was good? All right. But look at number 10. The spirit of Christ came to them long before Jesus Christ came into the world. Right? Remember, we read that in 1 Peter 3 and 11, where it says, What manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them indicated that the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So the spirit of Christ came upon them first before Jesus Christ manifested. Right. This, how did how did um, how did Isaiah see Jesus and that suffering? The spirit of Christ came and showed him what what Jesus Christ would go to would go through. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Those dudes the spirit of Christ would come upon them and show Christ what Jesus Christ would go through. Number 11, they knew they were ministering things that, that would be accessed by those who were on the other side of Christ's resurrection. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's why I don't throw out the Old Testament scriptures. They weren't even talking to them. Some of the stuff they was telling us that was going to be good, they couldn't even get it. 
So I don't listen to those people that say, all I got to do is preach New Testament. How would I do that when those guys saw stuff that I need to believe? And then finally, number 12, therefore, keep your mind focused and hope. Maintain that blueprint, the picture of the grace of God being being the means by which you ascend or rise up at the unveiling of Jesus at his second coming. Whew. Pastor David, that's some good stuff there, isn't it? I, I want to believe this stuff. Okay. One slide. Um, go to my, my last slide there, media team. Five major types of Christ. This is going to be our launching point for next week. Five major types of Christ that we see in the Old Testament. This is a really important point here. Um, and you get this, you'll, I'll give you the list now, and then we'll, um, we'll unpack it here in our next session. Five types of Christ we see in the Old Testament scriptures. Number one, he is the last Adam. So there's something about the first Adam that gives me insight into the last Adam. Got that? That's a type. Jesus is the fulfillment of the type of Adam. Got it? Number two, he is the priest, not after the order of Aaron or Levi. He is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. So there's something about Melchizedek's life and ministry that I can look to to understand something about what Jesus is. Number three, he is the seed of Abraham. So I can look at Abraham's life and know, get some insights about Jesus Christ. Number four, he is the prophet. In the New Testament, in the King James Version, they asked John, are you that prophet? They weren't asking him, was he a prophet? They were asking him, are you that prophet that Moses said would come? John said, I'm not that prophet. Jesus is that prophet that Moses said would come, like him. And then finally, and we'll spend, we'll spend some very significant time on this fifth one, um, because this one's very, very important for us to understand if we're going to understand end-time events. He is the king that sits on the throne of David. He is the king that sits on the throne of David. God promised and swore a covenant to David of your seed. Forever, there will be a king on your throne. Jesus is that eternal fulfillment of God's covenant promise to David. All right? Okay, you got, I always like to give you the outline, and then we'll fill in We'll fill in, uh, we'll put some meat on those bones next week.